Amen. How many blessed people are in the house of the Lord today? Praise God. It's great to see all of you and thank you for being here. I have a little bit of humor to share with you. So there was two women and they were catching up over coffee. And one of them was just talking about life and talking about the topic of exercise. And she said, man, I just feel like my body has just totally gotten out of shape. And so she said, I got a doctor's permission to join a fitness club and start exercising. She said, I decided to start taking aerobics for seniors. She said, I bent, I twisted, I gyrated, I jumped up and down and I sweated for about an hour. And by the time I got my leotards on, the class was already over. (laughs) That ain't right. I I love all of you. I love to laugh with you. And I tell you, I love Ryan. He makes me laugh. He is hilarious. Ryan, it's good to have you back up leading service. We've missed you and I'm glad to have you. To all of you, thank you for being here and to our guests. We do appreciate you taking the time to get your yourself and your family dressed and to be in the house of the Lord with us. And I'm going to just uh, rephrase what Ryan said. We're going to love you so many ways. You're bound to like one of them and they're going to all be legal. (laughs) Amen. I'm going to talk to you out of my heart. Uh, This particular topic did not originate with me, but it resonates deeply with me. And because it resonates so deeply with me, I want to share it with you this morning. Are you ready to receive from the word of the Lord? Let's pray together. Father, our bodies are here. Now help our mind and our spirit to be here. Let us be in one accord so that we can receive from your word. And I just ask, Lord, that, Lord, you help me to say it the way that I feel it. And that it would be a blessing to the body of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody say amen. Amen. Before you're seated, turn around and say something nice to somebody. Would you do that? I want to talk to us today on this subject, what satisfies us? What satisfies us? If we ask the question, why did God create the world? Have you ever asked that question? Why did God create the world? And if the answer to that particular question that God created the world for his own glory, then if you think about it, then if God created the world for his own glory, then at the heart of that is self-promotion. Meaning that God created the world for his own glory and for his own praise. 
Now, Oprah Winfrey, I'm sure most of you heard of her and Brad Pitt and uh, the early uh, C.S. Lewis. And then there's another man by the name of Eric Reese and then another man by the name of uh, Michael Prowse. They, they all walked away from such a God. And they stumbled over God's self-promotion. So Oprah walked away from Christianity when she was 27. And she said the reason that she walked away from Christianity is because God is a jealous God and he demands allegiance and to himself and all affection for himself. And that didn't sound very loving to her. So Brad Pitt, he said he walked away from his childhood faith because God says, um, you have to say that I'm the best. And it, it sounds like there's a lot of ego involved in that. Then C.S. Lewis, before he became a Christian, he complained that God demanding to be praised sounds like a vain woman who's just searching for compliments. And then Eric Reese, he was the writer of an American gospel and he rejected Jesus, he said, because only an egomaniac would demand we love him more than we love our parents and our children. And then a, a man by the name of Michael Browse, the columnist, he was a columnist for the London Financial Times, and he said he turned away because only tyrants puffed up with pride crave adulation. Now, there's a lot of people that see God as a problem. They see that God, if he did create the world for his own praise and for his own glory and self-exaltation, um, they think that that really involves being immoral and they think it involves being loveless. <clears throat> now, I'm going to just give you something to think about this morning. I think that maybe... Um, I have the uh, solution to that train of thought, and I think it's this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I'm going to just talk to you this morning. I'm going to say this again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I'm going to say it another way, and I hope this comes up on the screen. Here it is. Jesus is exalted in us when he is more valuable, more precious, more satisfying than all that life can give or that death can take away. <laughs> in other words, ladies and gentlemen, See, we all have needs. This is Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, okay? We have the need for air because we can't live without it. We have the need for water. It's another thing we can't live without. We have the need for food. When those needs are met, then we have a need for affection. But then once those needs are met, then it goes to the realm of desires. We have desires, okay? Hmm, that's amazing. I can get them to work on Sunday. I just can't get them to work the rest of the week. 
Wow. Miracles still happen. You know, I hear him grinding over there. And if I didn't want this church to get built, I'd have David go over there and tell him to shut it down. But I'm just happy somebody's working. So. So can y'all look past the noise? So we have, once, once these physical needs are met, such as air and water and food and affection, then we have desires, okay? And these desires go to, first of all, it, it, it starts with security needs. We have security needs. We want to feel secure. This is why a woman loves her home, because it causes her to feel secure. With man, it's probably more money. We Men probably are a little bit more gravitating toward money because we feel like if we have money, we have security. And then, then after that, you go to self-esteem needs. We have self-esteem needs. We, we want people to respect us, to look up to us, to value us. And then a, a, after that, another need that we have is control. We want to feel like we're in control, that we have control of our life, control of our destiny, control where we're going. And then after that, we have connection. We, we, this is why we love community and we need to be a part of a community because we need that. We need one another. God looked at man and he said, it's not good for you, sir, to be alone. So he made him a helpmate. So we need that community. Now, I could break this down and I could make this the whole lesson because what happens is, is when we go from what is healthy in, in our self-esteem needs because we need to feel valuable, then what we do is, is we tip the scales from being unhealthy and then we start trying to reach out to things and acquire things to make, to make people think, well, because I have this, I'm valuable. And, and I mentioned this, I mentioned this Wednesday night real quick and I said, you know, it's the, it's the 60 year, year old man buying the vet. And, uh, somebody come up to me and said, Brother Nealon, <clears throat> the 60 year old man buying the vet may not be an ego need. It may just be he couldn't afford it when he was 20. <laughs> that, that is true. I, I mean, there's, there's an exception to every rule, right? So that, that's true. But, um, what, what, what I'm saying is, is that you see a lot of people get into their midlife and, you know, you don't call it a midlife crisis when you're 20 and you don't call it a midlife crisis when you're 85. But when you're 55 and you're 60 and you're, 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 you've now lost your youth, but you're still not. What happens is, is you start looking for something now to validate you that I'm still valuable, right? I'm not young and 20, but I'm not 90 either. So am I still valuable? And, and so what happens, ladies and gentlemen, is that we have desires, but all of those desires can tip the scale and become unhealthy. And the point that I want to make this morning is this is that God wants you to be so satisfied with him that he is the one 
that fulfills your desires for self-esteem, that you get your identity not in a car or a person or a house or a bank account, but you get your identity in that I am in Christ and Christ is in me and I know that I am a royal representative on the earth because of who I am in him. Does this make sense? And then what happens is, ladies and gentlemen, that if we as Christians, if we are not totally satisfied in him, then we start reaching for a substitute. And that substitute always leads us down a bad road. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, since God is the source of our greatest happiness, and since God is the greatest treasure in the world, the kindest, most loving thing he could do is to give himself for our enjoyment. Are you with me? Here's what it says in Psalms 16 and 11. You will show me the path of life. Earn all the degrees you want to. I'm very much in education, very much for it. But let me tell you, you can have more degrees than a thermometer, but that is not going to show you the path of life. The path of life is when you choose him. It is not, it is not within man to direct his own steps. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? It is not within man to direct his own steps. But if you will trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding, he will direct your path. God knows what is going to make you happier than what you know. Why? Because he made you. If you don't know how to operate your car, you know what you do? You get out the owner's manual. And the owner's manual is written to help you to operate your car. You know what God has? He's written your owner's manual. And we're going to the world to try to find satisfaction in all kinds of things. And God says, if you want my word, read my mind. And I will direct you because this is the owner manual for life. If you want to be victorious, if you want to overcome, if you want to be with Christ, then read the manual. Can I get a witness? So let me go back to that verse. He says, you are the one who leads me to the path of life. Check this out. Can it come back up? Verse, this verse. Then he says, your presence In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That verse, really, David is speaking really about heaven. He is saying, you are my path to heaven. You are my path to pleasures forevermore. Being in your presence is what's going to bring me supreme joy. So this verse right here talks on joy, talks about life, talks about pleasures, because it's God that provides this. Young people, you know, I just, I wish, I just wish, I'm going to be honest with you, I wish that I had somebody 
that would have told me this when I was 20. I don't know if I would have believed him. Probably wouldn't have. But I at least would have liked the opportunity. Because where our culture is at, it says that you're valuable if you have good looks. But I'm going to tell you something. Beauty fades. And I'm going to tell you something else. There's a lot of people up in Hollywood, they look goofy. Y'all know what I'm talking about without me getting deep into it because they're trying to go back to an age and stage that'll never be again. Because they know what Hollywood thinks. Hollywood is all about appearance and if you don't have appearance, you're not in Hollywood. What are you going to do, ladies and gentlemen, when your beauty fades? And if you think that you're just all of that in a bag of chips because you're beautiful, well, give yourself about 60 years. You're probably not going to look like you do right now. Right? But this is where the world puts its value in appearance. The world says you're valuable if you have affluence. When I was in Columbia, Maryland, Jan and I, we started a church and I started working for my aunt and I traveled all over the country and I went to New York City a lot and I, I, I got to meet a man. I could tell you his name and uh, his dad was a very wealthy man. In fact, Eric hung out with people like Paris Hilton and he knew a lot of famous people and hung out with a lot of famous people. I don't know why, but for some reason he took a liking to me. And so every time I'd go, you'd take me out to eat to very nice places. And we just developed a relationship. In fact, we still are in touch with each other. He still lives in New York City. They own a big company in New York. And um, I asked him one time, I said, Eric, I just have a question for you. I want to ask you. He said, all right, what you got? I said, um, you're around a lot of wealthy people. You're, you know, your family's got a lot of money. He, I said, uh, tell me, what, what do people, what do wealthy people worry about? He said, I'll tell you exactly what they worry about. He said, they, they all worry about losing their money. He said, that's the number one worry. I said, why is that? He said, because they wouldn't know who they are without it. Now, y'all, I'm taking a little bit of time here, but what I want to do is, is I want to show you where the world puts its value. The world puts its value in appearance but you're going to lose that. And the world puts its value in affluence, but you can have it today and not have it tomorrow. The world puts its value in accomplishments, but listen, whatever record you set, there's somebody coming after you going to try to break your record. Everybody's after Bill, uh, uh, Tom Brady right now because they want to be the GOAT, greatest of all times. So you've got Joe Burrow, who's probably, there's a good possibility that he may outperform one day Tom Brady. Because you know why? Because he's young and he wants to be the goat. So you make this record, somebody's going to come behind you and try to break it. So when they break your record and they take your record or your ribbons, now who are you? Can y'all be with me for about 40 minutes this morning? Listen, and then the world says you're valuable if, you're appro if you have a lot of approval. You get a lot of likes on Facebook. But here's what I found out. There's always somebody smarter, somebody better looking, somebody a little bit more popular that's going to have a few more likes than you do. So now if you put your value in your appearance, in your accomplishments, in your affluence, and in your approval, what happens when all of that's gone? 
This is why it is not egotistical for God to say to all of us that he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him because he understands that things come and go but Jesus comes and stays and only Jesus can satisfy your soul only he can take your heart and make you whole I remember another song that says take this whole world but give me Jesus Take the whole world, but give me Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, the reason why the church is not having an effect on the world is because we as the church have bought into the value system of the world. And we are not changing the world. The world is changing us. Praise God. Stay there. Are you with me? So if we exalt ourselves, is this making sense? If we exalt ourselves, then we distract people from the very one that can make them happy. If we say, look at me, then we're distracting them because we ought to not be pointing to ourselves. This is what John the Baptist said. He must increase and I must decrease. It doesn't make me less, ladies and gentlemen. It just makes me smart to, to understand who is the author and the finisher. Who can make me supremely happy is never self. Self can never make you supremely happy. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. The most depressed people in this room and in this community are people who are focused on themselves. Are you with me? See, it, but, but here, here's the deal. If we exalt God and we point to God, he is the only person that can make them and us happy forever. Ladies and gentlemen, and to all of our guests, I just want to tell you this. God is not an egomaniac. I'm not here to hurt your feelings. I'm here to share truth and love with you. God does not need your worship. I'm going to say that again. God did not need you to come here and worship him so he can sit on his throne. I'm not trying to be rude to us. I'm not trying to discredit us. But the fact of the matter is God has angels. And their whole purpose is night and day. Say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. So God is not going to fall off the throne, sweetheart, if you don't worship him. Because the fact of the matter is he doesn't need your worship. And I don't mean that ugly. He just don't. He doesn't even need your money. Now we thank you for it because what we do is we use it to... Press on the kingdom of God, right? But here's what the scripture says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The silver and the gold belong to the Lord and the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord and the oil under the ground belong to the Lord. Heaven and earth is the Lord's, ladies and gentlemen. It belongs to him. So there is nothing that we can give God that he can't do without. Did that make sense? Okay, so you, you just have to understand that God is not an egomaniac. He's not. He doesn't need anything from us. So no, Oprah, I'm going to address these. No, if God were not jealous of all of our affections, he would be indifferent to our final misery. I'm going to say that again. Thank you. 
If God was not jealous of us, he would be indifferent to us going to hell because God never designed hell for us. We were designed in the beginning for paradise and a garden with God and we were designed to make heaven our home. The only reason why anyone will go to hell is not because God has not provided a way of escape. He has. God went to Calvary so that every person, boy and girl, man and woman, could go to heaven. And the reason why they will not go to heaven is because they reject Jesus Christ and they think something else will make them happier. Does that make sense? I want to talk this morning about what satisfies us. See, here, here, here's where Oprah is wrong. See, God cares so much about you that if you worship something else, God knows it's going to take you down. Does that make sense? And he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to be eternally separated from him. But he does care because anything less than him brings you discontentment. Make sense? Okay. No, Brad Pitt. If God didn't demand that you see him as the best, he wouldn't care about your supreme happiness. Because God knows that every God, little g, will drag you down. But it was God, Yahweh, Jehovah, that said, David, I'll take you from a shepherd boy tending sheep. And I'm going to lift you up until you are king and you're reigning over Israel. That's how God works. God says, Joseph, I'll take you from a little boy who's rejected by his father and his brothers and I'll lead you all the way to the palace and let you rule and reign as second in command. That's how God works. God says, Esther, I'll take you as a little orphan girl and I'm going to give you my favor and I'm going to raise you up to be a queen of a great nation. I've said it before and I'm going to keep saying it. God doesn't decrease you. He only gets involved with you to increase you. He only gets involved for you to realize that it's not what the world calls valuable, but it's you being totally satisfied in him. No, Mr. Lewis, God is not vain in demanding your praise. Why is he not? Because you become what you worship. Can I say it again? Every man, woman, boy, and girl was made, designed. It's innate. They're going to worship something. And our worship of approval makes us anxious and fearful. And our worship of success makes us busy and it makes us restless. And our worship of anything else other than God does not satisfy our soul. So no, Eric Reese, if Jesus didn't lay claim on greater love than your children and your parents provide, he would be selling your heart to whatever cannot satisfy you forever because your parents aren't going to be here forever and your children aren't going to be here forever. But here's what the scripture says. If you are a believer, when you die, you shall never die. You shall always live if you have the spirit of Christ within you because one minute you go from breathing natural air to the next minute breathing celestial air and forever you will be in the presence of almighty God. No, Michael Prowse, God does not crave your adulation. He offers it as your greatest pleasure. Man is going to worship something. And God wants you to worship what is going to lift you up, not drag you down. 
Can I get a witness? C.S. Lewis discovered why God's demand for our praise is not vain. Here's what he said, and I'm going to read a number of things that he said. He was a brilliant mind. He said, I thought of praise in terms of, of compliment and approval or giving of honor. He said, I, 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 I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. He said the world, this is C.S. Lewis speaking, he said the world rings with praise. He said lovers praise their sweethearts. He said people, people that read poets praise certain poets. He said there are people that praise their horses. There are people that praise their cars. There, there are people that praise their flowers. There are people that praise the mountains. He said there are people that praise the countryside. There are, there are people that praise their favorite actors and their favorite sports stars. He said, we all praise. He said, but I'll tell you what I noticed. He said, I noticed how the humblest and at the same time, the most balanced minds praise the most while the cranks and the misfits praise the least. He continued, he said, I had not noticed that men spontaneously praise whatever they value. They say things like, isn't she lovely? They say things like, wasn't that glorious? They say things like, don't you think that's magnificent? And he said, the psalmist, when they tell everyone to praise the Lord, they are doing what men do when they speak of what they care about. He said, it is not out of a compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. Their delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Y'all, there are about five men in my life, and this is no joke, about five men in my life, and for the last couple weeks, even before this was in my spirit, I'm trying to think of a unique way that I can thank them for the profound impact they've had on my journey. <clears throat> I don't know them. I've never met them except for one. And I honestly don't know. I'm thinking, how can I show them praise? You know why? Because there's something in me that wants to praise them for what they've done for me. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your investment into my life. You've never met me, but I want to say thank you. Here, here is what C.S. Lewis is saying. He is saying that when you have been profoundly touched by someone, your response is praise. Does that make sense? When you have been profoundly impacted by someone's life, your initial reaction is you want to praise that person and say, thank you for writing that book. Thank you for preaching that message. Thank you for attending this. Thank you for doing that. And that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. It is just something that ought to happen spontaneously when we realize how great God is and how wonderful that he is and how magnanimous that he is. It shouldn't be, i got to go to church and praise God out of duty, but rather it ought to be a delight when I wake up in the morning and when I lay my head at rest I will praise him I, I want to talk about what satisfies us the most I want us to look at Philippians this is the ESV version Philippians chapter 1 verse 20 Paul is speaking and he says this it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored 
in my body, whether by life or whether by death. That word honor there means magnified or to cause to be seen as great. So Paul is saying in this verse, he's saying that my passion in life is that God would be seen as great. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am living my whole life, y'all, so that God will be seen as great. And, and, and then in Philippians 4, I won't go, I think it's verse 11. Here's what he said. He said, I know what it is to be abound. He's probably talking about he knows what it is to be a Pharisee and go to Harvard, the Harvard of his day, and be a very influential man. That's probably what he's speaking about. And then he says, I know what it is to be abased. I know what it is to abound in praise of men and the best school in the world, the school of Gamaliel. I know what it is. And I also know what it is to be in prison. Then you keep reading in Philippians 4. He says, so whether I am up here or down here, I am content. I've learned how to be content. Why? Because he said, I realize that praises come and praises go. One day you're up here and the next day you're down there. One day they're shouting, Jesus, Jesus, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And they're laying their clothes down and they're waving palm branches. Keep reading though. It's not but just a week after that. They're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And brothers and sisters, if you put yourself on the auction block of public opinion, one day they're going to praise you and the next day they're going to call you names. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And this is why God is saying that you're going to ride the wave based off of your appearance, your affluence, people's opinion of you, your accomplishments. But if you get in me, there's going to be a constant because I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll walk with you through thick and thin. I'll walk with you through the hills. I'll walk with you through the valleys. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Does it make sense? So let's go back right quick to Philippians 1 and 21. For me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. So let me explain something real quick. God created the world for the praise of the reputation of his grace. I'm going to say that again. God created the world... For the praise of the reputation of his grace. And that was on display supremely in the death of Jesus. I know that's a lot, but stay with me. Okay, so what did you just say, Pastor? This means that the pursuit of his own praise reaches the zenith at the place where it does us the most good. And that is the cross. So what are you saying? I'm saying that at the cross, God provides for our forgiveness. I'm saying that at the cross, it secures our happiness. And I am saying that at the cross, God satisfies our soul. And the greatest act of history, Christ made it possible for undeserving sinners to become most satisfied in him. See, we don't, we don't understand because we didn't live in the Old Testament. But only one high priest once a year got to come into the presence of God. God did such a radical thing when he went to the cross that now we can come before him even in our sin. And he doesn't reject us. 
Now, that doesn't mean anything to you because you haven't known anything less. But ladies and gentlemen, if you could have been living in the Old Testament and then getting transported to after God's finished work on the cross, you would understand what a big deal that this is. For you and I to come before such a holy God with sin in our life, if that high priest had sin, God slew him. But you and I now, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is why even with sin in my life, I could come to this pulpit and preach and God would still honor his word. Oh, my God, I don't need to get off on this, but I'm going to tell you, you've been taught that as soon as you sin, God leaves you. I'm going to tell you that is a lie. God is not schizophrenic because the Bible said it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. How can God be good to you and leave you? He doesn't, ladies and gentlemen. He loves you even when you sin and you can't even wrap your mind around that because of his grace, because of his goodness, because of his mercy, because he knows nothing in this life will ever satisfy you the way he will. Uh, I got to hurry. So let's go back and I, I'm going to try to hurry real quick. Philippians 1:21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what did that mean for Paul? Uh, I can't get into this. I'm sorry. But if you study, if you study Old Testament and you study Jews and how they viewed death, they didn't like it at all. So d- do a study on that and see how much they hated death. Because of their, of their train of thought. So when, when a Jew here, which is Paul, says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that blew their mind. Because your average Jew thought that death was a very dark place where the souls of the righteous and the sinners joined together, but it was absent without God. That's what the Old Testament Jew thought. Am I right, David Grigsby? Okay, that's what they thought. So for Paul to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, your average Jew is wondering like, what has Paul just, what is he thinking? But Paul had a revelation of the resurrection. He had a revelation of who Jesus was. Does that make sense? So when in Paul's understanding, it meant that death is no longer something to fear, but rather death is laying yourself in the arms of the one who makes the loss of everything gain. So I lose everything that earth has, but it's nothing to begin with so that I can gain Christ and be in his presence forevermore. All right. Now, here's the next one. I want you to look at Matthew 13 and 44. When you get this ideology, here's what you start getting. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. What does that mean? Here's what it means for the Christian. Stay with me and I'll be done. It means that not only is believing the truth a wonderful thing, but you also find a treasure. You don't get just the truth that will make you free. You get a treasure that is more valuable than anything you could ever possess on this earth. 
That's why he said, I'll sell everything I got to buy this field so I can get the treasure. So when you proclaim the gospel, you're not only proclaiming the truth that will set men free or make them free. You're also pointing them to the treasure that says God will give you more than appearance. He'll give you more than affluence. He'll give you more than accomplishment. And he'll give you more than approval. He'll satisfy your soul like nothing else can. Because he is the treasure that is worth selling everything and buying the field so that you can get him. Does that make sense? Now, when you are as a Christian, when you are living as a Christian, you are combating evil. I want you to look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2 and 13. Here's what it says. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's why God got upset, because he was saying this, evil is the preference for the empty wells of the world over the living waters of God's fellowship. He said, it's evil that people would be willing to leave me for the waters of fellowship for the evils of the world. He said, because guess what? Guess what, lady at the well? I've got a drink that if you get a taste of this... (laughs) You're never going to thirst again. Oh, she said, give me that water. And basically God was saying, I am him. I am that drink. Once you taste of me, you'll never thirst again. See, this is why communion is so important. Because once you drink that juice, you're saying, God, I don't need to drink anything else. And once you eat that little wafer, what you're saying is, is God, I'm eating the bread. I'm eating the bread of life that will satisfy me. I am drinking from that fountain that will never run dry. I don't need a drink of the world to satisfy me. And I don't really need the bread of the world to satisfy me. I am satisfied completely in him. I'm talking today on what satisfies us. And here's my hope that God would be so glorified in you that you would be totally satisfied in him. Would you stand together? I'm going to be real brief, but when Jesus said this, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. What, what is he really saying? Here's what he's really saying. Don't let the wealth of the world become an idol. So you can have the wealth of being with Christ. When he said, hey, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. What is he really saying? He's saying, don't let the fame of the world become an idol. So you can focus on the joy of God's approval. I can tell y'all ain't buying into this, but that's okay. I'm going to plant the seed. How many of you remember who was on the cover of People magazine three weeks ago? Raise your hand. Anybody? You remember the cover of People magazine three weeks? Well, you work at Brookshire, so yeah, you've seen it every day. You don't count. You know why you don't seek fame? Because it comes and goes. And God says, listen, people don't even remember who's on the cover. Do you remember the cover of People magazine six weeks ago? You remember six weeks ago? No. Okay, good. I got you. (laughs) 
What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you can gain the whole world. But if you lose your soul. If you're on the cover of People magazine next week, I'm sorry to tell you people are going to forget it six weeks from now. But why don't you seek his approval? That's where you find satisfaction. Don't seek your approval and wealth. Oh, I'm somebody because I got all these zeros in my bank account. No, I'm somebody because of what Jesus did for me at Calvary. Oh, I'm somebody because I'm so, you know, I'm so handsome. No, I lost that a long time ago. I'm so valuable because of who I am in him. Oh, dear God. Brother Dean told me something, and I've told y'all many times, I'm going to tell you again. He said, Wayne, I've traveled the world, and here's what I found out, that those that have the most praise him the least, and those that have the least praise him the most. And brothers and sisters, what I want to place into your spirit is this. The reason why we don't praise God the most is because the world is satisfying us. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm going to get very transparent with you. Please listen up. I'm going to get very open with you. Most of my life, there was one value that I said, if I have this, I'm valuable. And for the last probably five years, the Lord has been changing my values so that I don't look to this one thing as making me valuable. But I look to Him as He's my source. And God don't mind. Here's what, here's what it says in the Old Testament. God gives you the power to get wealth and He adds no sorrow to it. What does that mean? The world has wealth and a lot of their wealth, there's a lot of sorrow because they make a lot of bad choices with their money. But God says, I've got the power to get you wealthy and add no sorrow to it. So it's not that God has a problem with you prospering. He just wants you to remember it can never satisfy you like Him. So pastor, why have you preached this message? Why did you take up 46 minutes of my time to preach this message? Here it is, because I want you to understand only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Y'all, I feel the Holy Spirit here. I want you to earn a lot of money because hopefully you're going to be a great giver. And then we're going to take that money and we're going to advance the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you from my heart, I don't care what you roll up in here. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter to me what you roll up in this parking lot in. I just want you to always remember that's just transportation, but God knows how to get you from point A to point B. There's two things that I really want. There's a lot that I really want, but there's two things that I really want. I want my people to come into this building. They feel the love of God. And it like just almost takes their breath away. And then the next thing I want them to see is not people that are serving God out of duty, but they're serving God out of delight. Because they know everything else is just temporal, but He's eternal. And nothing can satisfy me like Him. 
And in His presence, there's fullness of joy. And I don't, I don't want, I don't even like for us, so to speak, to have to get pom-poms up here and say, praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, everybody, lift up a praise. Man, we ought to be coming in here and lifting up a praise and saying, God, I know that what I worship has become is what I've become like, and so I want to worship you so that my light, when I walk out of here, people can see Christ in me, the hope of glory. Do y'all know? Oh, dear God, I got to shut up, but do y'all know what is the root of all addiction? The root of all addiction goes back to hopelessness. People feel hopeless to control their life, hopeless to get happy, hopeless to be an overcomer, hopeless to ever break the addiction, hopeless to ever get on top. And what does Jesus offer? Hope. He says, I'm the only one that can satisfy you. I'm the only one that can substitute that drink for this drink, that drug for this bread. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. I want, I want the praise singers to come up, please. I wanted them to come up. And I, I asked them to sing this song. He, he turns graves into gardens. He's the only one who can. He's the only one that can satisfy your soul. Listen, if, if today you're here and you're a guest and you do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to tell you what you already know. You can walk in here wealthy. You can walk in here with a beautiful woman. You can walk in with a lot of accomplishments. You can walk in with a million followers on Facebook. And I'm going to tell you this because you already know it. That don't mean you're happy. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only he can take your heart and make you whole. Give you peace you've never known. Say, Pastor, how do I get that? It's real easy. Really, it is. We make it hard. It's not hard. It's just come to God and say, God, I repent. I can't be CEO of my life. Look where it's got me. So God, I resign as CEO and I want you to be CEO of my life. Now would you come into my heart and fill me with your spirit? Then I'm going to get baptized in your name because I'm going to cut the covenant because I want power over sin, sickness, Satan, and self. It's really Pentecostals have made it hard. It's not hard. It's just bring your heart to Him and say, I tried everything else and it doesn't satisfy me. There's nothing. Sing it, Kaylee. There's nothing. There's nothing better than Him. I wonder if you'll step out of your pew. And I wonder if you'll come and just raise your hands. Come on, if you don't know the Lord, just ask God. Right where you're standing, you don't even have to come up here.
somebody asked me, they said, well, well, hey, Pastor, what do you think about what's going on in Asbury and other places? I said, I think it's great. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be coming out my chimney for it to be smoke. I'm just hoping there's pockets that happen all over because America needs a great awakening. We need to get back focused on what can satisfy us because the world can't do it. I've already preached one time. I'm not going to preach again. Thank you for your time, your attention. Thank you for being here. May the Lord bless you. I'll look forward to seeing you Wednesday night. God wants you to love Him and He wants you to love people. Now turn around and give some love away. In every way it's legal, give some love away, right?